Good evening and welcome to the beautiful historical marionette theater in Spuds Flats, New York. You're here for a show about film and television trivia. Matinee Minutia. It's not your ordinary show. Mm-mm. No siree. <laughs> Grab your seats and uh, we will begin just shortly. And uh, mind the aisles, folks. Tuck your feet in. And now we begin with a clip from the inspiration for it all, 1935 on radio. Presenting for the first time in radio, the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon and Dale Arden. These thrilling adventures come to you as they are pictured each Sunday in the Comic Weekly, the world's greatest pictorial supplement of humor and adventure. The Comic Weekly, now printed in 32 tabloid-sized pages, each page in full four colors, is distributed everywhere as a part of your Hearst Sunday newspaper. Mm-hmm. You still get the paper? <laughs> I do. We'll get back to that in, in a few minutes, folks. Uh, but that... that uh, a radio clip wasn't really the beginning of Flash Gordon because it started in the newspapers. The newspapers, folks, back in the 30s. Uh, or even, no, yeah, the 30s. Uh, it started as a newspaper strip, but we'll get into that a little later. I'm trying to talk like a, a 1930s uh, person on film. You yeah. can talk fast back then, DJ. Yeah, say welcome, yeah, everyone, <laughs> to Matinee Minusa. Wow. Okay. And of course, that was my co-host, my nerd brother, my partner in crime, so many titles. He'll yeah, get a promotion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was Mr. Toppy Smelly. So yeah, thank you. it is the beginning of March. And they say that it, uh, it either comes in like a lamb or goes out like a lion. Well, I think we got a wolf in sheep's clothing here because old man Winter decided to blow us one last kiss. Did you say blow? Honk. Um, before we run off with Mother Nature into the spring, so on my way home, we 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 just had a little bit of a chill and a sprinkle, not too much. How about you, Toppy? We just we just I think we brought a little bit of the warm weather back from Maryland, and while well, it didn't last, it disappeared. Oh, you know, I don't remember it being particularly warmer in Maryland, <laughs> to be honest with you. Well, it was maybe in the 40s, which was warmer than here. Uh, it's possibly by a degree. <laughs> but yeah, it's actually been, um, you know, it's just been nice. Uh, today, uh, sun, you know, you can't do you can't do better than that. We get sun. Mm-hmm. We need to briefly mention Farpoint. Uh, Maryland uh, folks we got to meet Aunt Tudor in person and Aunt Tudor turns out to be two people uh, Rick and Sam longtime couple uh, uh, one, uh, they picked us up from uh, our hotel and took us out to dinner at a, a diner 
like real mashed potatoes and meatloaf diner. Oh, and what a cute place it was, too. It looked like it was right out of the scene from Pee-wee's Playhouse. Oh, that's perfect, DJ. I <laughs> never thought of that. Uh, it, <laughs> The kitsch, folks, the level of kitsch in this place. I will never forget. Honest to God, I was so taken with this place. I can't even describe that every square inch of this place is covered with found objects, mostly dolls, but objects of kitsch. But they're combined in such creative ways. Everywhere you look in this place, there's something weird to look at and then the longer you look at it there's things within things that you start to see more of <laughs> the creative minds behind this oh thank you somebody uh, uh, uh i think uh, aunt tudor just put a a photo in there that that photo doesn't even do it justice folks. <laughs> there is a wall of pez dispensers when you come into the place uh, i the exterior is mind-blowing I, I i i've never seen anything like it anyways i'm so happy to have met uh rick and sam and, and this place they took us to was just outstanding and just a very nice evening and uh, i want to say just thank you so much for that and it was a uh, great to meet the tutors <laughs> rick rick and sam and may it be the first of many such adventures, because, I mean, it, that was just the perfect send-off to a new friendship, and uh, I was just wowed to be introduced to this place, because that's the kind of place that I like to find when I go on an adventure, something off the beaten path and something that you'll always remember. Uh, for sure. Never in my life have I seen anything like it. Well, I think we've got uh, something we're going to talk about here. So, uh, is our senior showgirl in the house? Well, of course I am. What do you think I do here, DJ? Well, okay. I mind the store and I pass out the candy. Uh, but anyways, do you guys know something? Uh, I'm not going to do the intro tonight. Oh, oh uh, well, that's uh, curious. Uh <laughs> Uh, who is going to do the intro? Somebody you guys met in Farpoint. Her name's Tamanda Martini. Oh. <laughs> and, is, there, uh, yeah. is there any truth to the rumor that she's your long-lost great-grandniece? Listen, I don't know what those rumors are, but let's... Well, it could be. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, we asked her to to do the intro to tonight's special selection. Uh, why don't we play that, DJ? Do you mind? Oh, right. right. A young American football legend is about to embark upon a well-deserved retreat when he crosses paths with an ambitious Dale Arden and their private plane encounters a freak meteor shower mid-flight. After crash landing on a rocket scientist's private property, they suspect outside forces at hand. Once headed to the source of the trouble, Dale is claimed as a prize for the evil Ming. Will Flash rescue the damsel? Will the Emperor add her to his harem? Will they save Earth from certain destruction? Grab your ray gun and get on your space boots. It's time for Flash Gordon. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? 
a pinch of golden oldies, and a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Get down! It's the enemy! <laughs> you can't get me, I got you. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, DJ, uh, uh, it's uh, here we are at the Marionette Theater. It's a special night. We're going to do Flash Gordon, the movie from 1980. So uh, it's it's it's. Uh, by the way, th- uh, thank you, Gertie, and uh, thank you to our, our our pal that we met out there, right? DJ Demanda Martini. Yes, and you can hear more about Demanda on the latest episode of the Smellcast. I hear. Well, uh, yeah, it just got, it just came out this morning, and it's a full length, uh, exciting, fast paced interview with. Uh, performance artist demand uh, and uh, what a personality and uh, we sure are pleased that uh, you know sh- maybe she- she's going to be doing us, uh, some stuff for us like you just heard it's always fun we can team up with our friend in the south there so uh we're gonna go in the well way back machine a little bit here we're gonna take a trip to uh, the early days of my childhood and uh, this is a remake in a way it's it's kind of a, a reboot in a way it's the uh the adventures of uh rocket ships and spacemen from a generation gone by. And of course, we're putting it on the silver screen in 1980. So the uh, history in the world in 1980, folks. In 1980, comic strip The Far Side first appeared in newspapers. President Carter approved a $1.5 billion bailout of Chrysler. Oops. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. defeats the Soviet Union in hockey in. Ooh, <laughs> I remember that in the 13th Winter Olympics. And uh, speaking of President Carter, he announced the U.S. would boycott the upcoming Olympics in Moscow. Hmm. The Voyager One probe confirmed existence of the Saturn moon Janus, uh, not Rand mm-hmm. Janus. And a bunch of things. The Pennsylvania lottery was rigged by six men. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, and an inmate with the whole longest served prison sentences released after 68 years. They were in jail before Flash Gordon was on the radio. Good Lord. When did they, when, did they, when was this crime committed? In 1911. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, considering the oh. year, I'm wondering if they bootlegged. Well, I don't even want to know what they did back in 1911. In the in 1980, also the Department of Education began operation, and uh, the last installment of the Star Wars trilogy, The Empire Strikes Back. No, 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 the middle installment. The middle. I'm sorry. Can you tell which side my nerd? Bread is buttered on. <laughs> it was only the best Star Wars movie. Uh, <laughs> and in 1980, Pac-Man was the best-selling arcade game of all time, and it was released then. Yeah, I think that's specs when they had six pixels. I don't know. I, I know my dad used to play it, and, uh, well, my sister actually made an art project to celebrate his high score. Oh. Uh, Senator Ted Kennedy won several state primaries but failed to get the Democratic nomination for presidency. Oopsie. 
And finishing out 1980, uh, Ronald Reagan won the Republican nomination. Uh, Robert Redford, talk about some classic film, made his directorial debut with Ordinary People. And last but not least, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera debuts in London's West End. Hey, if you didn't think you could ever dislike Mary Tyler Moore, you watch that Ordinary People, and you ain't you are not gonna like her. She's a, I mean, she shows her acting chops in that movie because she always played someone you loved and there she is in that movie and she's totally convincing don't you think hmm so she's not a goody two-shoes no well no no she's not a lovable character in that movie anyways folks uh there's some people that were born this is when i feel old (laughs) i'm gonna tell you about who was burned in uh, 1980 uh we've got uh zoe who is that? <laughs> well, uh, for future reference, think about the the, the fragrance. So it's Zoe de Chanel. That did not help me. Though. Okay, you're speaking French now. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, what she was? Oh, and she was an elf, mm-hmm. new girl. Uh, we've also got uh, Christina Ritchie. Did I pronounce that right? You did. Oh, she was Wednesday. In the yeah. Adams family. And she was in the Casper the Friendly Ghost movie that came out too. Oh my god, I love her. Macaulay Cockett. Oh, Macaulay Cockin. <laughs> uh, okay, so anyway, no, it's he's fine in that home alone movie. Uh then you got to, oh no, this really this is too much. Okay. <laughs> Folks, Chris Pine, who's, who did these new uh, Star uh, Trek uh, movies. <laughs> was born in 1980 oh god <laughs> about wonder oh he was in wonder woman and yeah. the new night wonder woman 1984 coming out this summer that's right and and sadly uh, steve mcqueen and uh john lennon most infamously uh passed away uh in 1980 uh you know, uh, just real quick about 1980, because of course it's it was long enough ago now that we're getting nostalgic about it. Hence tonight's show. Yeah, true. Uh, DJ, but I, yes. Oh, did I? Uh, I th- I think you just skipped a beat. Oh. And I missed what you said, but oh, I, okay. I was snafu. going to say, um, 1980 was long ago, long enough ago now that we're being nostalgic about it. So I was just going to mention that um, in this year during the super, the yeah, the the, the superb owl. Let's pronounce it right. Uh, Macaulay Culkin, um, he basically uh, appeared as his character from the Home Alone films, and it was a commercial for one of those, um, you know, those uh, smart devices. Oh, I must have slept through that one. Because <laughs> uh, I did stay up until halftime. Uh, DJ, uh, uh, Flash Garden was a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else was going on in the theaters? What might have been? 
Flash Gordon competing against? Okay, well, 1980 was a bumper crop year for movies. In fact, 116 films were released. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, so of course you could imagine the top of the box office was that middle installment in the original Star Wars trilogy, The Empire Strikes Back, made $200 million in 1980, and I'm sure if we were to adjust that for inflation, it would pay for someone's house, um, or at least a few of them. And uh, one of my favorite films was Runner-Up. It was 9 to 5 with Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda. That made $100 million. And another of my favorites had Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. If you can imagine teaming those two up, you got stir crazy. And that brought in $101 million. Now, of course, since we love the underdog here. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> Flash Gordon. Well, it wasn't in the top, of course. It was. Uh, what number do you think Flash Gordon was? <laughs> I don't know. Kind of low. Was it low? Well, it was It was of legal age of consent in most oh. states. It was 18, so you oh. don't have to feel bad about uh, being turned on by Mr. Sam Jones. But it only made $27 million. It was beat out by a film that we discussed last year, in fact, The Shining. Well... The Shining should have beaten out Flesh Gordon, let's face it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we do love the underdog here. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it's all right. Uh, the, the, here's a DJ. It's hard to remember that Neil Diamond did a movie <laughs> called The Jazz Singer, but he did. Did that do better than Did that do better than Flash Gordon? It did. Oh now, no! Now uh, we should mention that this is uh, round two of this discussion for Toppy and I. We had a practice round at our sci-fi convention, Farpoint, and the reason I mention that is because one of our um, lovely listeners at Farpoint actually won a prize, a gift bag with some movie-going treats and a film for answering the uh, film that Neil Diamond was starred in in 1980, which, of course, was The Jazz Singer. That's right. I forgot about that. And uh, hats off to John, who joined us at Farpoint, and uh, as well as his friend Liz, who won the second gift bag. That was awesome. But we also had one more film in 1980 that beat out Flash Gordon Toppy. It had Mr. Clint Eastwood in it. It was Bronco Billy, and that brought in $24 million. All right, there you go, folks. Let's get into Flash Gordon. First of all, uh, that clip that you heard at the beginning, it was from a 1935 radio drama uh, that was uh, uh, captivated uh, audiences. Now, 1935, folks, that's a long time ago. My set is falling apart, DJ. Uh -oh. if, if that eyeball falls down, pay no attention, folks. Uh, you know, the things are made of cardboard around here. That's how it is in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. uh, anyways, um, <clears throat> Flash Gordon, uh, if, you, if you heard in the clip it mentioned the Hearst newspapers, Flash Gordon started out as a comic strip in the newspapers uh, on Sunday. Now, Sunday was a special thing for uh, the newspaper industry because they had invented something that really uplifted their sales. It was called the comic section, and it wrapped the entire newspaper. And when you saw it on the stands, 
there you saw the uh, four-color comics, and it made people buy the papers. And Hearst, a leading publisher of the time, wanted something to compete with a very popular comic strip called Buck Rogers. And he said, I want a Buck Rogers. So uh, somehow they found an artist named of Alex Raymond. He started that Sunday strip. Now, you got to understand, folks, everyone read the newspapers back then. I mean, I should say the comics. It was a Sunday thing. It was a Sunday tradition. But if kids would spread those papers out on the floor and dote on them for hours, people would read them. It was a big deal. No kidding. And you don't understand. Back then, those comics took up an entire page. Flash Gordon was huge. Uh, over the years, comic strips in the newspaper have shrunk. And, uh, you know, it's all to do with saving money and blah, blah, blah. But back then, Flash Gordon was a tremendously popular adventure strip that would continue Every Sunday, it got so popular, they said, holy cow, we got to get this going daily. So they hired another artist, and then uh, somebody else did the strip Monday through Friday. Anyways, it was so popular, it launched the radio series, books, merchandise, e all kinds of things, and uh, very popular. It continued uh, versions of it. Uh, came out. There was a, a Turkish movie. There were all kinds of movies that came out about Flash Gordon. Uh, there was even a movie called Flush Gordon. <laughs> uh, DJ, did you know about this? Uh, I, yeah, well, I was just checking out the chat room there. I was looking over the balcony. We've got a few people, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll say who they are in a sec. But yeah, Hubby Billy is in there, and he's asked anyone if they've seen Flesh Gordon. Now, I have it under good authority that our good friend Tommy, well, he's had a number of different jobs, and uh, he says, yeah, he's seen it. Yeah, I never have, but uh, I got to see it someday. Uh, Aunt Tudor, it's uh, Flesh, F. Uh, oh, he's joking. He knows it's not flush, Gordon. He's being, he's pulling our funny bone. And he was to wrap it up, uh, folks, uh, come along 1980. Someone else decided to uh, do a movie about Flash Gordon. Why? Well, because science fiction was suddenly very profitable in the theater, in the theaters. Why? Because of Star Wars. And uh, suddenly... Producers were, were saying, yes, let's do science fiction. And just a year before Flash Gordon, the uh, other big franchise in the science fiction realm decided to go on the silver screen. So after Star Wars, we got Star Trek, the motion picture, and sure, half the movie was showing you how pretty the ship was. But it, uh, you know, it kind of set the uh, the tone for things to come, and then we got Flash Gordon. Yeah, don't you, uh, don't you tear down my Star Trek the motion picture. <laughs> so, uh, so, Tommy, yeah. let us know who's in the chat room before we get too much further. Oh, I'm sorry, we should do that. We got a, a, a chat room full of kind folks who stopped by. Let's say hi to Aunt Tudor. 
uh, who's uh, here almost every time. And uh, it's what? Look at that. It's your husband, Billy. He's in there. He better be. <laughs> and uh, our pal, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, and then, uh, yeah, uh, well, Spanky was here for a little while. Yeah. Hey, Tommy, let us know how the weather is up there in Fort Maple. We're, we're getting a little bit of winter here. <laughs> right. Um, let's play a couple of these trailers, uh, more modern. What you're going to hear first uh, is how they promote this uh, movie, Flesh Gordon, 1980, on television. And they tried to do it. They tried to hype up the fact that it was uh, kind of a, a serial like adventures. But listen to these two TV spots back to back and how they uh, tried to promote Flash Gordon. Join us for the fantastic adventures of Flash Gordon. Flash uses football to fight his enemy, Ming the Merciless. Stridus, are you a man on the right vitamins? Will Flash's strategy prove successful? Will he survive? Find out now at a theater near you. Music by Queen. Rated PG. Join us for the fantastic adventures of Flash Gordon. Having been taken prisoner by an ally of Ming the Merciless, Flash escapes only to face the gauntlet of the swamp. Leave him! He's mine! I hunt him alone! Is this the end? Will Flash survive? Find out now at a theater near you. Music by Queen. Rated PG. Whoa. DJ, can we possibly do a brief review of the plot? Can we do that? Oh, Oh, the plot, right? Yeah. So, well, Flash Gordon is in 1980, and uh, it was not only American, but it was British, it was Dutch, it was American. It's a space opera film based on the King Features comic strip of the same name, which was created by Alex Raymond. It was directed by Mike Hodges and produced by Dino De Laurentiis. You might have heard that name. That's how our show got its start with his film Barbarella with his ex-wife Jane Fonda. And this film was shot in Technicolor and... Uh, okay, I'm not going to try to pronounce that. Todd AO35, some format. <laughs> Starring Sam J. Jones. Now, he was a former Marine, folks. So, you know, he was he was in some pretty good shape. And, uh, well, I have it under good authority that maybe uh, he used another name when he, when he tried to raise some money and posing some <laughs> pictures. Oh, um, he, used a, uh, he used a pseudonym, did he? He did. And uh, Flash Gordon also had Melody Anderson, uh, someone named Topol, which we'll get into in a moment, and uh, a Swedish import, Mr. Max von Sydow, and also star from our last episode for the Valentine's episode of Scarlet, we've got Mr. Timothy Dalton, who hadn't yet put on the suit to be 007. That's right. Uh, here he is in yet another swashbuckling role. 
uh, on Flash. He just he's just perfect for it. He's perfect in this movie. The movie was co-written by Michael Allen, who was known for Enter the Dragon, and Lorenzo Semple Jr., who had previously scripted De Laurentiis' remake of King Kong. Thoughts of beasts and big things. Mm-hmm. It uses a camp style similar to the 1960s Batman TV series, which Semple developed in an attempt to appeal to fans of the original comics and serials. Now, uh, not the kind you eat, but the kind that was on the radio. Right. And although a box office success in the United Kingdom, Flash Gordon did well overseas. It performed poorly in other markets. Maybe there were too many distractions in the 80s. The film is notable for its soundtrack composed, performed, and produced by the rock band Queen with the orchestral mm. sections by Howard Blake. And this film has since gained a significant cult following. So, you guys, you are part of a cult. Ooh, did you know it? Oh, of course they do. Um, you know... Um, this movie looked significantly different from what people were used to coming at them in the last few years since Star Wars and Star Trek. Flash, Flash Gordon didn't really have realistic models. The, the actual flying uh, uh, machines and rockets they had, uh, they didn't look quite real. And uh, that was on Poipus, uh, because they were trying to refer to the 1940s movie serials that came out after the radio series. And they wanted to evoke that old-timey feeling. Um, There were three... Uh, movie serials of Flash Gordon starring Buster Crab, and uh, gee, they're they're just swell to look at. You should give them a check them out sometime. So, if people, I, one of the reasons for sure this movie maybe didn't make it is that people went in possibly expecting Star Wars level special effects that seemed real. What they got were very theatrical special effects and it might have just it probably didn't sit well it just uh, wasn't uh, received but it's charming nonetheless if you look at it i have a small theory about this because uh, looking at the release info flash gordon came out in december and that's you know that's one of those time frames where they teeter on where if a movie should come out during the summer or if it comes out during the holidays because you know the kids are out of school and the family can do things together i don't know if i would consider flash gordon a family film especially since de Laurentiis did it uh it's close it's real close it was rated pg when it came out and hmm. uh you know, do you really want your kids to see the scene with Melody Anderson uh, doing the pillow fight? <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't that bad. Getting roofied? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, that was another thing all the <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, DJ, what, uh, what was your first ex- uh, exposure to this movie? Oh, goodness. I think that this is one of those films that I caught on HBO in my childhood. 
Um, you know, I did see it again years later, but I was certainly, you know, quite little when I saw it for the first time. But I remembered all of the, you know, the the beautiful colorings that were done on this, because, of course, we were saying De Laurentiis did this and he had an eye for romantic colors. You had lots of reds. They were golds and metallics. And of course, you know, this is supposed to be a uh, adventure with rocket ships. So you kind of had to inspire the imaginations and what better way than to do it with, you know, shimmery things and things that had lightning bolts on them. And also a very deliberate attempt to use primary colors uh, because that was the four color process of the comic strips. So that that's another reason it was uh, it, it had those vivid uh, colors. And let's uh, just speak to Dino De Laurentiis. Uh, our very first movie we ever looked at on Matinee Minutia was Barbarella, another Dino De Laurentiis movie. <laughs> and one of the very interesting things is that Barbarella and Flash Gordon are separated by uh, over a decade. But they look, I mean, the look is so similar. There are winged flying men in Barbarella, and there are winged flying men in Flash Gordon. And by God, they, I be, they use the same wires. I don't know. They may have even used the same actors flying around. It looked the same. And, uh, and both uh, Barbarella was a comic strip, and so is Flash Gordon. And this is just, you know, I, this was the gestalt that DeLaurentis wanted. However, some of the actors said, uh, afterwards, that they had absolutely no idea they were making a campy movie. They thought they were making a serious drama. <laughs> uh, nobody ever told them that it was going to be kind of a campy, silly thing. Now, of course, Barbarella was a little bit more stripped than comic because uh, it was it was a bit more adult themed at the time. And France, I do believe, is where it came out originally. Yeah, but this uh, this movie was definitely uh, tamer than Barbarella. Now, before we tell the folks about the talent behind this, Toppy, tell us the story of this incarnation of Flash Gordon. Well, um, it was literally uh, lifted right off the comic strip and the first radio broadcast. Um, you had your uh, Ming the Merciless uh, out there in the outer space who found this globe called Earth and said, ooh, a new toy to play with. And he started to cause problems. Oh, mucking with the weather and earthquakes and little things like that. Uh, and uh, it just so happened that um, Flash Gordon, who's a football player, I think they even say, He's with the Jets, mm -hmm. I don't know, and uh, gets into a plane with uh, 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 Dale Arden, who's a, a what, a travel? What is she, DJ? Well, they, they meet on this plane, and it's, it's suggested that they were on their way to a weekend getaway, possibly at a resort. But yeah, she's a travel agent. She's a travel agent. Anyways, they get caught up in the atmospheric... Uh, bombardments from Ming 
and uh, they crash land uh, just coincidentally <laughs> in the lab of a mad scientist. And he is mad because he gets a gun and uh, he's uh, points it at, uh, at Dale and Flash and says, uh, uh, by golly, uh, get in my spaceship. We got to get out into space and stop this uh, carnage uh, that's uh, destroying Earth. And I'm going to force you to get on board my spaceship mm -hmm. and uh, fly it with me. And, uh, well, they do. And they lift off. And in no time at all, they're somehow just a gazillion miles away from Earth. And they're, um, they run into Mingla Merciless, who's a, just a terrible person. Portrayed by Max von Sydow wonderfully, I might say. I loved his performance in this movie. Um, and you you would know Max von Sydow, of course, as the priest and the exorcist, mm -hmm. uh, among many other things. Um, and uh, you, why he did this movie, I'll never know, except they probably paid him a lot. Uh, <laughs> but he plays it straight. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the makeup job on him is wonderful and uh, he really looks evil and he plays it to the hilt. He's a wonderful villain. And uh, anyways, it it's just flash gets into one terrible predicament after another. It's the serial kind of thing. He's in a, you know, and uh, somehow escapes and uh, just goes on and on. He meets Birdman and uh, I don't know, flying. Anyways, they they are they're all warring against each other. But at the end of the day, just before Earth is destroyed, well, of course, Flash uh, saves the day, and uh, and it's a just uh, quite a romp. And we're going to get to our roster of tale in just a moment, but uh, we're going to take a brief moment here. So we're just uh, moseying on over to the snack bar. This is the point where if you need to get up and get a drink, maybe visit a little half moon house. But we're going to wow you with a little bit of entertainment from tonight's film. Do you mean the merciless, ruler of the universe, take this earthling, Dale Arden, to be your empress of the hour? Of the hour, yes. You promise to use her as you will? Certainly. Not to blast her into space? Until such time as you grow weary of her. I do. I do not. <laughs> Recite up to me, Your Majesty, with this ring. Ring, 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 ring. Recite after me, Your Majesty, with this ring. I thee wed. Dale, what a damn shame. 
deactivate the lightning field. Stop your attack on Earth and I'll spare your life. You pitiful fool. My life is not for any Earthling to give or take. Your power is fading, me. There you have the moment, the end of the film, where he loses his powers. Yeah, and the Ming's ring falls on the floor. And it, uh, when the film ends, it, it has the end uh, come up. And then a question mark comes in, uh, promising perhaps a sequel that never happened. <laughs> Primarily because the film didn't do all that well. Plus... Uh, Sam Jones had tons of trouble with the director, uh, and uh, but more more than the director, the uh, producers Dino De Laurentiis, they uh, infamously clashed on everything, and the the whole production was winding to the end. And Christmas was coming along, so everyone, uh, you know, they said, "Okay, everybody, go home for Christmas for two weeks. Come back, and we'll wrap this sucker up." Well, Sam, Sam Jones left, and he never came back <laughs> because he hated the whole experience. Hmm. Tell us a little bit more about Mr. Jones there, Toppy. Well, he um, he didn't have uh, much of a career as far as acting goes before this movie. Um, uh, DJ, jump in there because I'm not finding it on the notes. What do you got? Well, Sam Sam Jones' first role was a brief appearance just before this Flash Gordon film in 1980. He starred in Blake Edwards' 10. That was the famous movie about the the uh, the bikini bodied lady with the dre- the uh, the dreadlocks, and uh, that was in '79. It starred Dudley Moore and Bo Derek. That moment on the beach, and Mr. Sam Jones he had several TV appearances during the '80s, including mm-hmm. a semi regular role in uh, something I used to sneak down to the uh, the family room to watch on HBO. It was a football themed show. <laughs> called first and 10 well all i'll say about that is um to quote steel magnolias no one gives a care about that great beep (laughs) 86 was that show on first and 10 and hbo and his next role was in a film in 85 it was about the vietnam conflict called jungle heat 
And before Flash Gordon, well, he had some bills to pay. So uh, he did a little bit of <clears throat> modeling under the alias of Andrew Cooper in 75. And then later he also starred in a short-lived series called The Highwayman. And uh, that was as a federal marshal who acts as a trucker. And in more recent years, Sam Jones has had some cameo roles in a couple of Mark Wahlberg's films. You might have heard of them called Ted. It's a, a man who's not quite grown up and still has his teddy bear around. And uh, Seth MacFarlane does the voice on that. Right. Seth MacFarlane was a huge fan of Flash Gordon. And uh, he just... Uh, whatever reason he w wanted to have Sam Jones as Sam Jones in this movie, it kind of resurrected Sam Jones' career, and um, and which was going nowhere. Uh, as a matter of fact, he uh, Sam Jones got out of acting altogether and became um, involved in security. He had a security business. Um, and uh, that was how he made his living. Um, and you can find out all about Sam Jones in a really very good documentary that came out in the last five years called After Flash. And it's all about Sam Jones and his life, which is a little, you know, kind of a great story. And I'm pleased to say that Sam Jones is still alive and well. And has come to grips with uh, a lot of stuff that happened in his life that wasn't all good. But today he is uh, touring and very much in demand as a guest at science fiction conventions. And uh, he's he's doing great and getting bit parts and this and that, uh, like Ted. So uh, he's doing great. And he, uh, listen, I mean, if you're going to believe this documentary... Uh, he's got his head together and uh, upstanding guy that you really like after watching this documentary. So good for him. Hmm. Now, who played the villain in this movie, Toppy? Well, Max Fonsito, we mentioned him. He was uh, in The Exorcist. He had a, he's a Swedish born actor. He was in, well, Let's put it this way. Movies that were a lot meatier <laughs> and probably way better and much more important than this movie. <laughs> but nonetheless, he did, uh, you know, because I think he was paid well. Uh, but he has an extensive career. And he, Max Von Seto, as a matter of fact, in the last year, he was just in something. Do we know what that was? It was... Um, it's not coming to mind, but he was just, and I think he was nominated hmm. for a supporting actor or something. I'll take a quick peek here. But I know that Max von Sydow is uh, a, a person that I stumbled on uh, after seeing Flash Gordon. But, of course, I've gone back and I've watched it now realizing who he is. He was in one of my favorite Robin Williams films called What Dreams May Come. And in that movie, he plays a character that ends up being a therapist. But uh, it looks like most recently, uh, Max von Sydow is in something that hasn't been released yet called Echoes of the Past. And in 2018, he was in something called The Command. Well, it's not ringing a bell, but uh, hmm. 
Okay. Um, well, we, we have a few more people in the cast. We have the uh, the damsel in distress, Miss Dale Arden, and she's played by Melody Anderson. Now, if you couldn't tell, if you didn't pay attention before she was on Flash Gordon, which was her silver screen debut, she was previously in that series that was on, I want to say, ABC, Battlestar Galactica, and we did cover that here on Matinee Minutia last fall. And uh, Melody... I no freaking clue what role she played in Battlestar Galactica. I think she was one of those nameless bridge crew members, but... Uh, you know, uh, probably got killed off in a in an explosion. But uh, she served a brief stint as an on-air reporter from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation before traveling to Southeast Asia and Australia, where she worked as one of the first non-Australian reporters and writing articles for Sydney newspapers. So she's got some credentials. She's w- done other work. She's worked mostly in television and following Flash had guest appearances on such shows as St. Elsewhere. Talk about 80s pop culture here. And she was the lead on a short-lived eight-episode series called Manimal. Copy me about this one. (laughs) And she had a regular recurring role in a soap opera, of course. In 92, she was on All My Children. Wow, God, that was my favorite uh, soap uh, that I watched for a time. Um, Oh, my God, Manimal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you got a title dropped there so if you pay attention to the gumball machine in the lobby after a while it's bound to turn up that's right uh there were some uh listen topol uh, played the mad scientist that held the gun on flash and dale to make them fly the ship topol he uh, he's known for fiddle R on the roof, folks, uh, doing over 2,500 uh, 2, stage performances or more as Tevier uh, before and after uh, the movie Fiddler on the Roof. So uh, he was sort of like, uh, well, you know, the main guy. Uh, what the hell is his name? I've forgotten. Uh, the main guy that uh, did did uh fiddler on the roof oh, uh, tevia or, or are you talking about the actor uh, yeah the actor i can't think of his name but uh anyways zero was his name zero mustel any idea i don't oh, okay anyways uh surely aunt tudor knows uh Anyways, uh, listen, why he got into this movie like Max von Sydow, I have no idea, but he's in it. Now, he was the guy that had the the deep voice and did all the torturing, and he had that metallic mask, right? No, 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 no. Oh. Topol played the mad scientist. He was friends. Oh, the Russian in this. Yes, 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 yes. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, that that was also, of course... You know, a uh, a reflection on 80s culture there, because, you know, back in the beginnings of Flash Gordon on the radio, of course, we're just uh, getting to the end of a war and we've got, uh, you know, German immigrants coming to the States and who will eventually help form our space program. But by the time the 80s has come around, we've got the Cold War. So, of course, the brilliant scientist is going to be a Russian. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Peter Wingard uh, played uh, the, the masked Kalilis 
um, who uh, famously melts and his eyes bulge out <laughs> through his mask in his death scene in Flesh Gordon. Uh, but uh, he's mostly known for TV roles uh, where, you know, they needed a certain uh, international or regal quality. Uh, he was a, a, a choice, but uh, he's got over 70 acting credits, mostly for television. There's a lot of people in this cast, so let's skip ahead here. Speaking of international appeal, we've got Mr. Timothy Dalton. Now, he was, of course, in our uh, Valentine's episode there, Scarlet, but he was in a couple of Bond films a few years after Flash Gordon, and Timothy Dalton was born in Wales, and uh, he played the uh, Prince Baron in Flash Gordon. Now, he was uh, sort of a plaything, Ming's daughter, um, which I we talk about Ming getting married in part of this film because, of course, the damsel in distress has been captured and Ming's going to marry her. Well, you know, uh, you see this 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 pleasure tent that's occupied by several women. And so I'm uh, fairly certain that this daughter of Ming's is probably just one of many. But anyways, the, the, the emperor's daughter has a plaything, and it's Prince Baron, played by Timothy Dalton. And he's got his own planet of tree people. Yeah, um, he's dressed in green and is sort of reminiscent of robin hood but he's you know very swashbuckling. he's very timothy dalton and he's perfect in in this movie at, at first uh, flash and uh this guy are kind of enemies but uh eventually they befriend each other as the story goes dj uh, let's talk about some of the scenes um that you remember or recall or are favorites uh, i'm gonna say for example, for me, uh, I really liked the scene where the prince and flat and flesh had to put their arms into this uh, <laughs> uh, stump that had many holes or entrances, and there was some kind of foul creature that lived in it. And the idea was uh, you had to put your hand in there and then withdraw it. And if you weren't bitten, by something that had venom and would make you die, then, well, you were okay. It was sort of like Russian roulette, really. Mm -hmm. but that was, I think that was a great scene. Uh, what's what's something memorable that you... Well, I think that one of my favorite scenes in Flash Gordon was when the scientist, Dr. Zarkov, has been taken aside... And uh, he's considered a threat because he's a genius. So they've got him strapped down. And uh, Ming's favorite henchwoman, who kind of reminds me of the evil queen in Snow White, um, she's in charge of wiping his mind. And, of course, uh, he's just playing along because you get to see his memories on the, on the screen above him there because, you know, when uh, we're doing something evil or with technology, we need to have proof. And uh, he is brought back to the moment he was conceived. And we're led to believe that he's a vegetable. But once Dale finds him in the wings and 
lets him free. It's revealed that he's still got all his marbles because he kept reciting lyrics to Beatles songs in his head. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, one of the other actors that I love most of all, particularly the because of the way he looked. Ooh, uh, I believe uh, this is the actor Brian Blessed. Uh huh. Prince Volton, the guy with the wings. Uh, there was uh, an entire race of uh, people who flew because <laughs> they had wings, don't you know? They were kind of the bikers of the Flash Gordon universe. Uh, listen, I'm sorry, but this guy, oh my lord, someone find a picture of Brian Blessed and post it in the chat room. Oh, oh there's a, by the way, Aunt Tudor just posted a photo of that stumpy thing. <laughs> <laughs> hands in isn't that nice anyways uh yeah listen uh, 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 uh before i came out to myself uh i had tingly things happening when i saw Brian lesson as prince volton in uh in uh, flash gordon uh it's because he was uh, like dressed in leather with <laughs> kind of naked uh but <laughs> yeah. Did he remind you of your high school gym teacher? <laughs> not even, not even. I don't know. But anyways, he was like a, a muscle bear with, oh, lordy. It, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody get Toppy a towel. <laughs> even today, I'm still uh, most enthusiastic about him. Uh, by the way, uh, play that last clip, clip five, DJ. It's real short. Play that. Play okay. uh, I think you mean the uh, okay, the Hawkman. Yeah, Gordon's alive. Okay, that was his voice. Uh, I don't know much about this, but somehow in the UK, where Flash Gordon did a hell of a lot better than America, uh, this oh, there he is. Oh God! I know somebody uh, find a picture where he, we see more of him. But anyway, isn't he wonderful? Uh, Brian Bliss, he pulled out all stops. He looked like he was having such a great time making this movie. You gotta love him in this. I swear. Anyways, that line "Gordon's alive" is something of a thing. In the UK, I don't really know the story of it, but 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 it's like it's like uh, you know how in America we say um, who are these people because we're all saturated with Seinfeld. <laughs> well, over there, Gordon's alive is a thing like that. Uh, that's all I know. Gordon's alive. It's a thing <laughs> in the UK. So, Toppy, uh, we're getting towards the end of our discussion, but before we move on to those little bits and bobs of uh, other things that might appeal to folks, our snack tray, tell us a little bit more about the guy who made this, the creative team. Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 I'm having trouble finding the notes, DJ, so if you want to... Oh, well, I do know it's directed by Mike Hodges, but, um, and he, he did get Carter 71 with Michael Caine. Um, and I remember, uh, reading that, uh, Hodges, uh, the director, uh, he also had no freaking clue what, uh, Dino DeLorean. <laughs> 
just want it. <laughs> he had no idea what he was doing on this movie or what he was supposed to be doing. It's amazing that it came out as well as it did because, uh, anyways, it's 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 uh, De, Dino De Laurentiis, uh, he's an Italian director, um, uh. That that uh, well, I, I don't know. My favorite thing that he did was the remake of King Kong with Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange. That was our film debut. Did a lot of jeepers creepers. He did a lot of blockbuster type movies, um, and he was a producer. He, he he just he was one of those people that was larger than life, and. Uh, Wanted what he wanted, and had the power to do it. And uh, there you go. And uh, I have it under good authority that uh, De Laurentiis shopped around for the director that was going to make this, and no one was able to make him happy. So, of course, he ended up with Mike Hodges. <laughs> right. Who, I don't know. Listen, everything's very clear in this movie, what happens. It's ably directed. There's a lot of action sequences in this movie. There's never any confusion about what's happening. So I respect the, the director of this. I just think it's funny that he had no clue that it was supposed to be a funny camp movie. Well, you know, they say sometimes that... Uh, you know, you bring in somebody to direct an installment in a franchise who's never, you know, experienced it before just to give it their own spin. And, well, in my experience, that's that's uh, bad juju because uh, you get, uh, you know, the guy who did U.S. Marshals and he did Star Trek Nemesis that uh, bombed. And then J.J. Abrams, who said, sure, I like Star Trek with his fingers crossed behind his back. And then after he got one out, he said, yeah, I was telling a fib. I don't really like Star Trek. And oh, hey, yeah, I get to do the Star Wars movie. So I guess I don't have to make any more of those. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we should not forget uh, what completed the entire aesthetics behind this movie which was the soundtrack by queen i wanted to find out who thought that this was a great idea but it was a great idea i don't know if it was delorentis i don't know how it happened but queen ended up doing the soundtrack and um, it's one of the earliest uh high budget feature films to use a score that, uh, you know, is by a rock band. Um, an earlier example is uh, The Who's Tommy, but it, it hadn't happened a lot. And um, Howard Blake did some of the additional music. Uh, DJ, I remember reading something about Queen in the day um, that... Uh, this project came around for them and uh, the lead singer whose name has suddenly left my brain. Oh, Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury. That was a time when he was very transient. He was coming and going, coming and going much to the, uh, you know, annoyment of uh, the rest of the inmates. 
Yeah. And uh, they kind of did a lot of it without uh, Freddie. Um, But he did participate um, in some of it. But most of it uh, was done just Freddie wasn't around. So, um, but uh, this is a, I mean, they came up with a memorable album and a, a great score, I think. Oh yeah, it, it's definitely something that you can listen to on its own, which I have, and you can imagine the you know the progression of the film because there's hardly a moment where there's not something in the background. Yeah, so happily we can just say that uh, the movie did gross more than it cost. <laughs> and, uh, there probably would have been a sequel if things hadn't gone wrong with Sam Jones and and uh, kind of a lackluster. It it did it, the problem really was this comic booky uh, style that just didn't jive what was going on in every other movie, which was you know Star Wars and. Uh, stuff with it just just, people couldn't compute so i think probably you know in that time frame the most successful uh conversion of a comic book into a you know a uh a film presentation like this would be like the superman films uh the superman films uh, well, you're talking about Superman the movie with Christopher Reeve? Yeah, those films. I mean, you know, there were several of them in the 80s. Weren't there four of them? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the campiest being the last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Which, I mean, Max von Sydow could have played, you know, one of the uh, the evil guys from Superman's home planet there. <laughs> Okay, that that fits, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in in general, uh, Superman played it straight. Uh, they they didn't want to be campy. Mm. There was humor in the movie, but the people that made Superman, the last thing they wanted was to make a campy version of Superman. They wanted uh, they wanted to believe. They wanted people to believe in Superman that he could fly and they did not want a campy movie, but Delorentis wanted a campy movie. <laughs> so uh, it's, you know, no uh, secret that Flash Gordon, of course, it started on the radio and then uh, we got this film in the eighties and it wasn't the last uh, presentation of this story. They had uh, in 79, there was the new adventures of flash gordon and in 85 we had defenders of the earth which included uh, characters from three comics together including flash yes let's pair mandrake the magician with flash gordon why not it works <laughs> it's, it's like the harry potter academy of comics you know yeah, the phantom and uh, in 96, we had Flash Gordon. Uh, it was a 26-episode animated series, which included teens on hoverboards, because, you know, there there was that Back to the Future movie. Why not? And uh, most recently, in 2007, the Sci-Fi Channel, S-Y-F-Y, because, you know, trademarks, channel uh, produced a live-action series with 21 episodes. 
Oh, my Lord. Um, anybody in the chat room seen that? I wonder if it's any good. I know absolutely nothing about it. But uh, if it's done, you know, by today's standards or close to it, like the way they've redone um, Lost in Space or some of these, you know, Picard or whatever, um, you know, with that kind of production value, I just wonder. I wonder what it's like, or I don't even know if it's been received well. I don't know. Mm. And uh, just before we tell you our recommendations, uh, a, a little piece of pop culture here. So, of course, we have all these iterations and installments of Flash Gordon over the years, but of course, it uh, you know it's um, rolled into one of my favorite franchises in the sci-fi realm. On Star Trek Voyager, the uh, the boy wonder, the the bad boy that was at the helm, Tom Paris. Well, every now and then he would have some downtime, and he'd go out to the holodeck, and just like Captain Picard had Dixon Hill, Tom Paris had the adventures of Captain Proton, which was of course inspired by Flash Gordon. And uh, there are three episodes of uh, Star Trek Voyager that included the adventures of Captain Proton, including one of my favorites where Captain Janeway dressed up as the bride of Chaotica, queen of the spider people. And I don't know who was responsible for those three episodes of Voyager, but they loved old movie series. They loved Flesh Gordon. That was a loving Oh, they did that so well. And you could tell they loved everything about those old movie serials of Flash Gordon. That also, you know, keep in mind, the 1980 movie also loved that and, and took from it. Uh, but those episodes of Voyagers, I'm so glad you brought that up. Oh, my God. that was Those were great. Because what did it, what it Belana get, Tom? as a present a television yeah in the 24th century tom paris got a television from his wife so that they can watch uh you know probably uh, flash gordon and things from that time yeah oh god those are good episodes i love uh, uh tom brought uh, seven of nine in on one of the adventures for some reason and of course seven of nine has no uh, clue what this is about, and 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 this uh, bolt of uh, a bucket of bolts robot comes advancing towards Seven of Nine, and uh, Tom says, "Oh, look out!" And uh, Seven of Nine just looks at it and gives it a karate chop, and it shatters to pieces. It's <laughs> <laughs> just the end of the end of the big threat uh, of the robot. Oh God, those were good episodes. <laughs> oh well i have a a treat that i'm going to put into the chat room here let me see if i can get this this is a picture that uh i took at a convention in denver when i lived there and it's a couple's attempt to uh cosplay the uh characters from the bride of chaotica arachnia and chaotica I have no idea what you're telling me. <laughs> I, I'm posting in the chat room a yeah. picture of this couple that appeared at a convention dressed as Arachnia and Chaotica from Star Trek Voyager. 
Oh, okay. So that's what I was missing. The, the characters from Voyager. Okay, got it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten those names. That's okay. All right. So we are going to tell you about a few things that you might enjoy if you liked Flash Gordon. And uh, I'm going to recommend a piece of 80s schlock that just so happened to star Angelica Houston. Yes, the daughter of the famous director and later the famous portrayal of... Um, Morticia Adams in the remake movies. I'm talking about an 80s film called The Ice Pirates. And, uh, and well, Houston? yes, Angelica Houston is in this film called The Ice Pirates from the 80s. And uh, it's just such a fun film. It even has the guy, and I'm forgetting the actor's name, who uh, was in the Police Academy movies that did the beatbox noises. Oh, I don't remember his name. I know who it is. <laughs> but uh, yes, it's a film from the 80s called The Ice Pirates. I recommend it because, well, it's space, it's an adventure, and it uh, it was probably the underdog when it came out. <laughs> All right. And uh, I think Bill Pullman is also in it, uh, who oh. is a, a star that's from my, my father's hometown, and uh, he's, well, he's a pirate in space, and uh, they're kidnapped at one point, and, um, well, they, they may be uh, entered into servitude. <laughs> oh, oh. So, Toppy, what would you recommend if somebody enjoyed Flash Gordon in 1980? Well, look, if if you really dug Flash Gordon go and you haven't seen it, go back to Barbarella, also by Dino De Laurentiis, uh, more than a decade earlier. The same aesthetics are visible. It's kind of fascinating, really, to see these two movies and compare them uh, and, and see how this the style that they were done it is so similar i'd go back and see that i also encourage you to go back and see uh, eve uh, the the three uh, 12 episode uh, serials uh, that were done in the 40s with buster Craig. they're charming they're charming come on take a look at them at least watch a couple of them and uh, also by all means, listen to the uh, 1935 uh, radio uh, serial serialization of of uh, Flash. And lastly, I really want to recommend this: it's Life After Flash, a recent documentary feature length, directed by Lisa Downs, uh, about Sam Jones and his uh, travails, uh, his uh, you know. Life after Flash. It's it's quite good. It'll leave you feeling really good about Sam Jones. So those are my recommendations. Alrighty. So if you will uh, follow us out here to the lobby, folks, we're gonna go ahead and figure out what's coming down the pike. Toppy, are you ready for this? I think so. Oh, oh, capsule! Here it is—the capsule, everybody. I got the capsule. Uh, let me open up here. Oh, 
Oh, folks, you got to be here next time. You're not going to believe it. It's an early to mid-70s comedy, kind of, <laughs> by the future director of Scarface. Do you know who I'm talking about? It stars pop star and composer Paul Williams. Now do you know what I'm talking about? Well, Paul Williams plays a producer who sold his soul. Has Jessica Arnold. Before she replaced Susan Sarandon in shock treatment. Good Lord. Uh, folks, I'm talking about the weirdo film by Director Brian De Palma, Phantom of the Paradise. That's next time on Matinee Minutia with our Paul Chandler from the Shy Life Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining us in the chat room. And Toppy, let us know who was here tonight. Well, we were very pleased to see our pal Tommy. And uh, your hubby, Billy Starr, said, gee, I hope he's feeling better. I know he was not feeling well. Is he doing okay? He's doing better, yeah. It's uh, it's the job ringing him through. I know. That's good. Um, and also our favorite aunt, Tudor. So, folks, would you please return on the third Friday this month, which is March 20th, and uh, you'll join us for a screening. Yes, a screening, because our guest is from across the pond there. There's a time difference, so we'll be doing a little bit of the time warp, but we'll be here with you, and we'll be premiering our 33rd episode. Yes, we're in the 30s now. It's the 20s, but we're celebrating the 30s at the marionette and uh, discussing Phantom of the Paradise. So, you know Paul Williams, uh, Google him. He's weird. And yeah. so Brian De Palma. And everything about Phantom of the Paradise is weird. <laughs> right up our alley. I think that's our address. So, Toppy, if you would, please say goodnight, Gracie. Oh, goodnight, Gracie. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univazpods.net, click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Find our group on Facebook. Have an idea for a show? Or let us know how we're doing. Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univazpods.net